This is Beth Bruno, and you're listening to the Fierce and Lovely Podcast. On this podcast, I amplify the feminine voice and curate feminine glory so that you, my listener, find your own fierce and lovely story. It has become somewhat of a sacred journey for me to uncover the stories of women from around the world throughout time and present day. The more fierce and lovely women I explore, the more I fall in love with the one in whose image we reflect. My hope is that in this space, you embrace your own beautifully ordinary life as the majority story most of us are living. Hello, fierce and lovelies. Whatever you're doing right now, running, cycling, hiking, cooking, mindless tasks at work, I hope you find that you belong in this space as a fierce and lovely woman. I really believe we each have a story unfolding that is beautiful and brilliant and the majority story. As in, most of us are loving and leading and living out our fierce and lovely in ordinary, unseen ways. I just get the privilege of highlighting some of us on the show. Well, today's guest is one such woman, a beautifully brilliant millennial friend whom I know through Red Tent Living, of which she edits and helps lead. Katie Johnson spoke last year at Red Tent's Brave On Conference about the feminine God, and I have wanted to talk more about it ever since. Of course, I had no idea she would throw me a carrot that I would inevitably follow for a bit as well. My curiosity so often gets the best of me. But regardless, I know you're going to find yourself belonging in this conversation. Here we go. Hey, Katie, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Beth. It's good to be here. Hey, can you start us off and tell us a little bit about kind of who you are, what fills your days, where are you right now, all of those good personal details that we'd love to know about? Sure, absolutely. So um, my name's Katie. I uh, am 30 years old and live in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And, you know, my my day job, I am a content specialist for World Renew, which is an international nonprofit. Um, and basically what I do is um, story collection. So I travel the world and see spaces um, that are touched by extreme poverty and um, kind of unfold and unpack the, um, the narratives of the people who live in those spaces and explore how um, the nonprofit that I work for comes alongside those families to help them on a, on a pathway of hope. So I I love that storytelling. Um, and then in in my spare time, um, because I don't have enough to do, I uh, am a master's of arts student at a seminary nearby. I'm getting an MA in theology. Um, and then I, I write for fun. I mean, that's actually how you and I know each other is through Red Tent Living and um all of the content and storytelling shared there and the various conferences and events that uh, Red Tent Living hosts. So I kind of, I have my hands in a lot of different um, 
storytelling contexts, and I love that work. It brings me a lot of joy, and it keeps my faith interesting. Um, and, and those are the things that I really do. So, I mean, in addition to that, I was born and raised in Texas. I'm a, um, I was not born and raised in Texas. I feel like that. I lived most of my life in Texas. I was born in Phoenix, Arizona. My family is still in Texas. Um, so I've got a little bit of that Southern hospitality kind of woven deep into my story. Um, and then here in Michigan, I, I've been here about, um, gosh, seven years and, um, love the seasons, love, uh, fall is actually my favorite season. So it's fitting that we're talking in October. Um, and I, I have a boyfriend and, uh, love what life looks like here. Um, so that's that's a bit about me. So you are a, a master of words, it sounds like, if we could <laughs> give you an umbrella title. Well, thank you. <laughs> um, your job at World Renew sounds like a dream. <laughs> it's, it's a dream. Yeah, um, it's true. I, you know, I made the jump to World Renew. I worked um, originally for an advertising company for years and years. And then for me, I um, last summer traveled to Lebanon with a nonprofit to collect the stories of some Syrian refugees. And um, it was the first time that I felt um, that phrase that um, I think it's Buchner says where um, your uh, great joy meets the world's great need. Um, and it felt like I was the perfect person for that moment. Like the stories were hard um, that women and families were bearing as refugees and yet filled with dignity and courage and um, getting to tell those stories in a way that honored um, the speakers was just a huge gift. And so I came back from that trip and I knew I needed to make a career change. And that's kind of the journey that got me started on walking towards World Renew. Well, I saw a picture of you in a boat in India recently. <laughs> yeah, in Bangladesh. Yep. Okay, Bangladesh. And I didn't know that you were working for World Renew. And so I had no context for <laughs> what you were doing or where you were. But yeah. I guess you were collecting stories there too. Yeah, that's actually... Um, so I'm working uh, right now on a, a gender justice campaign. So we do a lot of work... Um, kind of advocating for the rights of young women. And um, that campaign uh, was really focused on these really inspiring young girls in Bangladesh who are kind of working against the narrative of childhood marriage and um, trying to educate their elders on how important an education is for girls. And so the campaign is called Just Girls, and we were there capturing um, some some film um, to kind of highlight those girls' stories. So it was an incredible experience. I felt so lucky to get to be a part of that. That is one of my, um, you know, imaginary book titles one day. Just really? Girls. Yes. Really? It's, on, it's on my book title list of the books <sighs> that, you know, aren't currently written. Uh-huh. I, I love that. So, okay, this is I'm just going to follow this rabbit hole for a minute because this okay. is fascinating to me. As any listener will know, global girls justice. Oh my gosh, I'm lost. So, <laughs> are you? So, is your role with in terms of collecting stories of the girls 
I mean, that's your part of the picture. What does World Renew do with this campaign? Like, how are you educating? What what tools are you using or media or acting or, you know, how are you doing? How's the team doing that on the ground in Bangladesh? Absolutely. So our, our team leader um, has this beautiful infrastructure in Bangladesh and um, World Renew's passion is really coming alongside communities. We do, we practice a lot of um, asset-based community development work. So helping communities recognize the strengths within themselves. Um, so the way that a lot of our work in Bangladesh functions is um, we have these primary groups. Um, people come together, they include a village savings and loan component. So um, they're kind of um, working to accrue more wealth and resources. Um, They're offering loans to one another to help um, further their business initiatives. There's basic literacy involved in those groups. Um, In the rural groups that we do, there's also um, some sustainable farming practices. Um, So um, creating compost, um, learning how to farm throughout the year by rotating crops, a lot of different things around that. Um, And then with our young girls groups, we also have health education. Um, So talking about bodies and um, what those bodies need and protection around that. Um, We have some literacy and school support. Um, There's multiple facets. We try to kind of have a holistic model. And then what's really cool is each of those individual groups um, get to send a representative to their regional um, it's called the People's Institution. So each each small group sends a representative and they pay small dues to the People's Institution. And then the People's Institution votes as a collective body on where the greatest needs in the community are. And they, um, they send resources to help support additional initiatives there. So it's the community supporting the community. It's the community learning to trust their leaders. It's bringing together men and women to lead these groups, um, which is a bit of a a different narrative for how um, leadership typically works in that country. Um, And so in that, it's even transforming narratives of how people interact with people, how families interact with families. Um, And then the young girls and young boys who are in their groups also get to send representatives. So you have 15-year-olds who are Um, participating and reporting back and bringing up issues just like you have mothers and grandmothers and grandfathers and fathers. And um, it's this really beautiful intergenerational work. And World Renew supports the training um, of local organizations to help support that um, and then just continues to check up and provide um, accountability and structure. Um, and then provide resources to keep the groups running and to get them started in new contexts. I love that. So is it the, is it the people's institution that mm-hmm. decided the greatest need right now is um, gender justice around child marriage? And so it came from them and they're the ones no. who are pushing that out? So um, it's so interesting when it comes to Bangladesh, you can't talk about any Um, community development work without talking about gender. Um, So it just is woven into everything that we do. Um, The reason that we're highlighting the childhood marriage dynamic in part is just because that's what those 15-year-old girls care about. So um, that's what they're championing, and we're here to tell 
their stories. So we're sharing that with a broader context. Um, and woven into that is all of the other things we do tied to health, education, economic empowerment. Like it, it's so interesting. Childhood marriage is one issue in particular where all of those various threads are connected and involved. Okay. I got it. Oh, I love that. So for anyone who's interested like me to see the final story, um, where, where can we see some of, some of that? Yes. So we are going to be um, rolling out all of that content, all of the girls' stories through social media the whole month of November. But if you want to get a little um, sneak peek, probably the easiest URL to go to is worldrenew.net backslash for just girls. And it's actually the number four um, because part of uh the story that we tell is how $50 can change the life of four girls. Um, so yes, that's, that's where things are going to start to appear. We're working with an amazing partner um, called One Day's Wages, and they're actually matching dollar for dollar every single gift donated in the United States. So, oh, okay. I love um, that organization up, too. Yeah, yeah, up to $100,000. So we actually have a webpage with them as well. It's a longer URL, but if you go to our website, it clicks you through. And so that's the easiest way to get there. Okay. Awesome. Well, I will put that in the show notes for people. Cool. And I'm going to talk to my girls about that because what a great thing to do, right? With with girls, supporting I girls. Know. I'm so about that. I know. So oh, my curiosity around these kinds of things just gets the better of me. Yesterday, yesterday someone... Uh, um, a kind of a fan wrote and asked me if I knew of women in the Philippines, global women. And it was all of me to not lose like an, an entire hour and a half to go down that rabbit hole just because she sparked a curiosity. Well, no, I don't, but I know they're there and I, I want to find them now. And I just had to resist and tell her, just tell me what you find. Cause I, uh, women and the world. I can't resist. But it's so funny because that's not even what you and I talked about talking about. I know. I know. So let's <laughs> sidebar. Let's, sidebar. I want to get to that. So here's Katie. Thank you for all of that. Thank you for telling us about your world. Um, I like your life. So last year at Red Tent Living's Brave On Conference in Austin, you were on stage and you gave a talk that ever since then I've thought. I want to talk more. I want to hear more all about that. And so here we are a year later. I finally get to ask you a little bit more about your thoughts around the connecting as women to the feminine side of God. And I am just going to leave it at that and ask you to start sharing some more thoughts around that concept. With pleasure. Um, so yeah, you brought that up before we started recording your thoughts of, oh, maybe we could talk about this more. And I was like, oh, goodness, that's right. Um, so thoughts about the feminine side of God have been on my mind a ton as, um, you know, as a woman attending seminary and, and wondering about, uh, so what is the unique place that um, women hold in the kingdom of God? And um, how do we uniquely connect with God? Um, and I, I place a high priority on um, 
kind of faithfully reading and grappling with scripture. So I don't believe in just um, leaving behind the parts that you don't like. Um, And a lot of the language that we've been given for God tends to veer more masculine. Um, So I think it's, it's been a bit of a quest for me um, and, and a place where I find a lot of joy to just pay attention to the moments where scripture really intentionally gives us a feminine metaphor um, or uses feminine language. I don't think a lot of people know that um, in the Hebrew, the the term for the spirit of God, ruach, is a, a feminine word. And so there, there have been some theologians I've read, um, one in particular, Will Gaffney, who do beautiful work on kind of contemplating what does it mean that the spirit of God that God chose a feminine word to talk about that part of God's self. Um, but then uh, the, the inspiring metaphor for that talk a year ago, I started in Isaiah 42. Um, and it's one of my favorite passages because it talks about God laboring and groaning and panting um, for her people like a mother for her baby. Um, and, uh, even I remember as I was writing the talk, choosing that pronoun of her felt like a really radical moment. And I knew there would be women in the room who would feel seen and come alive with that pronoun. And there would be women in the room who felt shut down. And like, I had just done the most heretical thing possible. Right. Um, cause we're all on such a wide spectrum there. Um, and as I sat with the text, I, I just felt a very strong conviction, like I have to be true to the metaphor that God chose for God's self in this moment. And in this moment, God chose a mother and the word her fits. Um, and the talk kind of went from there. But that's, that was a bit of the genesis of it. And it- I feel that tension myself. I remember engaging with that also think feeling both of those things, that ambivalence of part of me does come alive and part of me feels awkward with that. And I don't I don't know what I'm supposed to do with that truth of how God describes himself in that it, herself, right? Like that even that. Oh, it just feels right? so awkward and weird and and not at all my faith tradition. Um so I guess there's that. I mean, we could talk a little bit about acknowledging that tension and pushing through it to embrace the fullness of scripture, like you said, um, or we could just leave that at the table and just talk more about what that has meant for you as a woman and your own story to more more intimately connect to that side yeah. of God. You know, it's I was just, I was in class this morning and we were talking about, um, there are some faith traditions that have chosen really intentionally to not restrict God to um, gendered language. So we've got often when we sing the doxology, we talk about Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Um, and some traditions have shifted that to um, creator, redeemer, sanctifier, or um, creator, savior, Holy Ghost. Um, and, and so there's no gendered language there, right? Um, and, and there's certainly something to be said for that. It recognizes that God is engaged in those, those acts continuously. Um, and I think it also 
creates room where we can approach God um, separate from some some terms that actually could be really damaging, depending on what our relationships with our fathers looked like. That could be a really charged term. Um, and in the same breath, there's something about gendered language for God that I think is really beautiful to invite us to grapple with. So my, my faith journey has been um, ambivalent with all of those terms, and I use all of those terms. God as father, God as mother. Um, I think there's a lot of uh, possibility in that. And I believe that uh, God is big enough and uh, loving enough to hold all of my questions and even misspeaking there if I ever do it. Yes, because that's going to be a part of it no matter what. Right. Like I'm not going to get it all right. Um, (laughs) I, I don't totally know God. Well, what has it meant for you personally, Katie, to to begin to view God in that way? So I'll say this. I grew up in a very traditional faith context. Um, I grew up non-denominational, evangelical. I don't even think I knew what all of those words meant until I was in college. Um, but with that, um, very traditional view of God um, and the the metaphors that were preached most often in my context were um, God as king, um, God as uh, shepherd, God as high priest. Um, and a lot of those roles are typically male. Um, I grew up in a, in a complementarian context. So um, believing that, you know, the, the husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church and a, a lot of this parallelism. Um, and I think as a woman who, um, had been recognized for, um, having certain leadership capabilities and certain passion for scripture, um, that was a, a bit of a lonely place to be. You know, it felt like I needed to tuck pretty significant parts of myself away, um, and, and kind of be very, uh, careful with my words in order to belong in Christian spaces. Um, actually, uh, one of the things I talk about with my, uh, my boyfriend is he was, um, it, one of the reasons I found myself attracted to him was it was one of the first men that I didn't feel like I was too big in the room for him. Like I felt like, uh, he welcomed all of my strength and matched it. Um, and, and me showing up as my full self didn't shut him down or didn't strike him as inappropriate. Um, and I, I wonder, certainly that's not every woman's story, but I hear that story more times uh, than not, where if I'm sitting quietly with a friend grabbing coffee and we start to talk about her faith journey, there are some spaces where she felt like she needed to get small in order to belong in the Christian world. Um, and so when, when I got introduced to this broader concept of God, and when I recognized that actually the scriptures I'd been reading for so long had a lot of additional language about God, um, it just kind of blew the doors open. It, it said in a whole new way, you belong um, and you reflect a part of my being um, 
that I so deeply enjoy and, and knowing that I embody a part of who God is um, at that level was deeply significant. I, I resonate with that a little bit. I've recently been talking about having you know several different phases of my own faith journey, and I've been walking with God since I was 14 years old. So there was the exciting honeymoon, passionate, zealot phase, of course, that you know, actually I probably was in through my 20s. And then I got bored and disenfranchised and confused and um, needed to leave full-time ministry kind of in the midst of that. And it was seeing scripture and seeing God through the lens of the poor uh, through my grad program that resurrected an excitement, a feeling of if this is who God is, if this is what he loves and cares about, I'm all for it. And it renewed an energy again. And another decade went by and I started to feel bored again and confused again. And it was discovering his view of women and all of the stories of women in scripture that just like the poor, I had somehow never noticed that resurrected an excitement again for my faith. Oh, if this is a God who loves women like this, then I'm all for it. And (laughs) I think it's interesting that, I mean, one, we can read words over and over again and not see things and then see things. And God is just alive and constantly at work. But two, what you're saying to embrace um, a, a picture of God anew that brings us alive in a different way that makes us feel known and seen. As a woman, I needed to see that in scripture. I needed to see women. And, you know, finally my eyes were open. They're all over the Bible. But I love how finding finding the feminine side of God for you made you feel more like you belong in this more academic space in, in seminary, I'm sure, but in the space of offering your intellect um, and knowing scripture and teaching it as you do to feel like you belong because the God you follow is also feminine. I just see how important that would be, how, how impactful that would be. Yeah. You know, it's, um, I've, I've been doing some work, uh, and this will come out at, uh, the brave conference this year. Um, kind of considering like, uh, I was looking at the resurrection and the resurrection is a tricky space for me. Like, A, it's magic, right? uh, Literally. Um, But it's magic in that Jesus chooses to reveal himself to women, and and they are the witnesses and the proclaimers of of resurrection. And there's this part of me that uh, is sort of mad that Jesus makes these women go and and tell the resurrection story when he knows they're not going to be believed, right? Their their witness will not be seen as credible. The disciples are going to claim that this is all nonsense. Um, And and it puts them in kind of a vulnerable spot. Um, But just recognizing uh, that there is something about uh, God that's always wild and something about resurrection that is always foolish. And there's this invitation from God, tell your story anyway. And as, I, as I've leaned into this space of believing, okay, God has a specific role for me as a woman in the church. 
And that that's a bit of a fraught space these days, right? Like at least for the church in America, we're looking at um, lots of churches closing, consolidating. We're looking at more polarized opinions um, about scripture, A, but also where um, faith and politics interact. And so it, it's a really tumultuous time. And for me to look back to that first message that women brought of the resurrected Christ, Christ, it's a bit of a compass where it's like, I'm, I'm going to have moments where the, the story of love and reconciliation and redemption that I'm telling strikes people as foolish. And it's not my job to get them all to believe me. And it's not my job to be everybody's favorite person or the most obvious leader. It's my job to tell the story anyway and to believe that it's going to work in its quiet, insidious, faithful way. Um, and and maybe just taking the pressure off of being the ideal uh, pastor with all the answers, um, because that's never going to happen. <laughs> um, that's That's been helpful, too. Uh, yeah. Well, there's, yeah. yeah, I hear grace in your in your words. Um, well, Katie, you know, I got derailed with your dream, the dream job that you're living. That you I, have. I wanted to ask you about um, the intersection of fierce and lovely in your life. And I am hearing it right now in your words, but I would love for you to articulate what you think that looks like for you. Mm, that's such a great question. I love that you ask everybody this. Um, I have learned particularly in the last five years, I think I started life. And I think a lot of us start life by believing what's lovely about me is what's impressive and put together. Like what I can accomplish and what I can do really well and where I can be perfect. Um, I just had a, a fear about, we talked about it earlier, this fear about belonging um, that meant I really prioritized doing things. And I am realizing that what is uh, lovely about me is what is very, very much undone and fragile and tenuous and hopeful and questioning, because those are all of the spaces where I, I need God to speak to me. And I think what is fierce about me is that part of me that even in the doubt and even in the unknown won't let go. Um, it's, it's maybe that um, story of Jacob wrestling with God where it's like, I won't let go until you bless me. So even as I grapple with um, heartbreak or change or um, confusion or isolation or all of those things that just fill our lives, um, holding to this idea that um, God will meet me in what's broken um, and and don't give up. Wait, wait for God to show up. I love that. Katie, thank you so much for talking 
with us today. Yeah. Thanks for coming on this podcast. My pleasure. It's always great to talk with you and thanks for making the room for it. I love creating that space. So thanks for being a fierce and lovely woman who joined me there today. Women, I wonder, where do you feel like you no longer belong? Like there is no longer a place for you in God's family or in his word or in your faith community. I just wonder what he might be asking of you to push the boundaries a little bit, to trust that he is big enough and that he wants to meet you where you're at and that he might have a fresh uh, look at himself for you. And, and through a new lens. I don't know, but I'm encouraged by Katie. I'm encouraged by what she had to share with us today. And I am super encouraged by the work that she gets to do. Please check out the show notes to follow along that project, Just Girls, and learn more about how you might be involved. And for all information about Katie, again, check the show notes to, to follow her writing and to see what she's up to with Red Tent Living. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation and that you found your own sense of belonging and more of your own fierce and lovely story. This is Beth Bruno, and you've been listening to the Fierce and Lovely Podcast.